The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello, everyone. Good afternoon, and welcome to Barron's Live Market Watch Edition. My name is Arthi Swaminathan, and I am a real estate reporter for Market Watch, and I am your host for today. So, on today's episode, we're joined by Roshana Scott, who is a real estate agent and investor, and she's joining us from Chicago. So, welcome. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. So, I'm going to start with a basic overview of basically you, right? You're from the third largest city in the U.S. You're a broker, an investor, in some ways an educator. You know, tell me a little bit about all the hats you wear. Tell me who you are. Yeah. So um, as you mentioned, I am born and raised in Chicago. Um, I am a real estate broker. I am also a team lead. So uh, I have a team of agents who work under me, um, full service residents residential and commercial sales. And so uh, we work with first time home buyers um, to the newbie investor all the way through the experienced investor. Um, everybody on my team, uh, we are all investors. And so that's our niche that we've carved out within the industry. And I didn't even realize as I was building my brand and growing a following that that's what I was doing. Um, but I just naturally had a love for um investing and figuring it out and learning. And then I started attracting uh, more clients who were interested in that. Um, I'm also the founder of Flipping in Heels, which is an online community for women real estate investors um, that teaches women that, you know, we cannot, we can uh, be decision makers within the real estate industry. Uh, when I, again, once I was growing my brand and, and establishing um, who I wanted to be, I guess you can say in this industry, I was looking for, hey, where is that person that I can look up to who inspires me and, and, and a, a female that's doing more real estate outside of um, just, you know, dressing pretty and showing luxury houses like that just was not um what I had an interest in, although I definitely have sold luxury houses and new construction um, since then, but that just wasn't uh, my initial, um, I guess you can say, entrance into real estate. And so um, from there, like I said, I have I have created a, net, a, a niche for uh, working with investors and so all things real estate and investing in, in Chicago, uh, I'm your girl. <laughs> <laughs> it's one thing to sell homes, another thing to invest and build your business, build your wealth. What was your first investment? Tell me about that first uh, in entry into real estate investing. Yeah, so my first investment, goodness, was about eight years ago now. It was in 2015. And I was like early 20s, I want to say, yeah, about 23. Um, I was a broke college student at the time working, you know, working a, a part-time job and I was in 
in school full time. And I was um, taking like different real estate investment classes and going to workshops and seminars and things like that. And I was just trying to figure it out. And there I got connected with someone who was um, flipping a property and they were raising capital. And um, that was my very first investment was um, someone allowed me the opportunity to invest in a project that they had. And um, I was a private investor, essentially, where I put in my money. I didn't have any decision making. However, um, I was able to show up to the property, ask questions and things like that. And we've coined, uh, I, I guess you say, I've coined the term of uh, mentor hacking because the hack is like there's so many people out here that want a mentor, especially, you know, when it comes in real estate, everybody wants somebody to show them the ropes. Right. It's one thing to pay for a coach and it's one thing, um, you know, to have a mentor. But then there's also another thing to invest in a project and actually have, you know, that invested interest. And the owners of that project, they want to make sure that they keep their investors happy. So they're going to make sure that your questions are answered. You know, yes, you can show up to the property and ask questions and things like that. So it allowed me the opportunity to learn as I made money. And that was a great investment for me. Um, I got my money back, all my money back, plus my return, you know, once the property. So it was a flip. Um, it was a condo fix and flip. And uh, yeah, that was my very first project. And then, you know, fast forward some years later, I... You know, I've done a number of projects, um, both on my own and with um, partners, but I've also in turn raised money, you know, for my own deals. And it's funny because even being younger, you know, even the thought of that was like, well, who's going to, you know, loan me hundreds of thousands of dollars and who's going to trust me to invest with me and things like that. But of course, you know, as my experience grew over time, my confidence grew over time, my knowledge grew over time, um, you know, and, and the trust factor grew over time. Yeah. And here we are. <laughs> 23, broke college student. That's <laughs> amazing. And this person who mentored you gave you an opportunity to not only invest, but also shadow them. Right. And mm -hmm. that really, that is interesting. So I just want to zoom out and talk about the market right now, because mm -hmm. you know, the business, uh, can you talk about what it is like for buyers and sellers for Chicago right now? Are we seeing competition intensify? What's going on on the ground? Yeah, so across the board is definitely competition. Um, so we are in uh, June of 2023 and um, rates are hovering right below 7% uh, right now. Um, but they've been pretty constant over the past, goodness, um, I would say definitely like six to eight or six to nine months. We first saw the shift of uh, rates, the, the rate spike um, about last summer. So about 12 months ago. And at that point in time, there was about a three, four month um, slowdown where there was a lot of uncertainty in the world, uh, inflation, right? Gas prices going up, oil prices going up, everything was going up. Um, rates, you know, also went up as well, right? Um, and we definitely saw a slowdown in the market where we were seeing longer days on market for inventory staying on, on, on the market for longer. At the point prices were going up also because rates have been low for so long, which caused, you know, supply and demand, right? An issue of supply and demand, of course, nationwide, right? So no, we're not a stranger to that. Um, however, because properties were sitting longer on the market, prices started to come back down. And I believe that buyers just got used to what the rates were, right? Mm -hmm. Like 
at first it was such a frenzy and such a, a hot topic of rates going up, rates going up, rates going up. And then once rates are up, okay, when are they coming back down? Nobody really knows. And so it's like, hey, okay, your lease is up in February, right? Are you going to sign on another year lease because you're not sure what the market is going to do, right? And 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 give that money away for free, right? Paying rent, making somebody else rich for another year. Are you going to bite the bullet of, hey, okay, rates are, you know, it is what it is. I still have a plan and goals for what I want to do. And I know I want to purchase this year. So let me move forward and purchase. And if rates do fall, should they fall, then, you know, of course, there's always the opportunity to uh, refinance, right? You can refinance into a lower um, a lower rate. Um, prices are a little bit lower than what they once were, you know, during the, the surge of COVID and things like that. And so, um, hence, being, you know, with the spring market, the, the seasons changing and things like that. Yes, we are absolutely back in a busy market uh, with the rates still being, you know, um, like I said, hovering right below uh, that 7% line uh, between six and a half and 7%. But buyers are still want to press forward and, and accomplish their goals of ownership. So we're, we're definitely busy. We're definitely seeing a lot of competition. I work a lot in the uh, multifamily space. So the two to four unit space with individuals who are looking to house hack and things like that. Um, so there's a lot of competition, um, you know, because the inventory is is getting taken up and not only just by home buyers, but you also are competing with investors mm -hmm. in that same space. Right. So it's different if there's like the condo space or the single family space where it's going to be majority first time home buyers that are in that space. But I work with first time home buyers who are also first time investors. And so, yes, there is competition. <laughs> it's a little bit like deja vu. Like we just exited that pandemic frenzy where I thought I can never buy a home. I'm a renter, full disclosure. And now I still can't buy a home because it's still competitive, right? Uh, just quickly, first time home buyers versus investors. Do you sense like a shift? Are there more investors? Are there more first time home buyers? Or, you know, what is it? I feel like there are more investors. There is, I feel like there has been a shift. Um, I mean, you know, my team and I, we still definitely get a good mix, but again, I have home buyers and then I have experienced investors, but I have home buyers who are also investors. So there's that good mix too, right? Of people who are looking to move into the property, live in one unit, rent the other units out, you know, have the tenants pay their mortgage. So there's a good mix of that too, but which they are still first time home buyers and there's still, um, maybe programs and things like that, that they can qualify for. Um, but yeah, yeah, definitely seeing, like you said, it's interesting to come, be in a frenzy, come out of a frenzy, slow down, go back into a frenzy. Um, but the good thing is that, you know, for real estate professionals, it keeps us busy. It keeps us going. Um, you know, our business isn't drying up, um, but it shouldn't either. It, it really shouldn't dry up because real estate continues to be a very solid investment, right? Year over year, time over time, you know, it's proven to stand the test of time, even in the worst of times of recessions, right? The markets bounce back, right? Markets come back and things like that. And so what I've seen um, throughout the market shifts, I've been in the industry um, for five years as a broker. And um, I would say, you know, the, the major shift of course was like the pandemic and then even coming out of that and then even going into the pandemic at first. But what I've noticed from my experienced investor clients is that regardless of what's going on in the market, they don't necessarily just stop investing. Mm -hmm. That's the question that I get all the time. It's like, is this a good time to invest? Is this a, my answer 
always has been and always will be, yes, it is always going to be a good time to invest, but it's a matter of how you invest, right? Like maybe at one point it was okay to go in and pay top of the market, you know, things like that. Um, in a shift, the numbers may not make sense, right? Where rates are going up and you're trying to cash flow. So it's like, how do we adjust, adjust your strategy to where we can still accomplish your goal and your investment can still make sense? Yeah, that's really, that's actually one of the, the questions that the audience asked. This is a good time and you've sort of answered that. It, it depends and it could be a good time. It depends on what you want to invest in. I want to jump right into the, the how to do real estate investing. I think I want to dedicate a little bit of time, but a reminder to our audience, if you have questions uh, for Ashana, please put it in the box and um, we will get to them later on. So let's talk about investing for the newbie, something you mentioned how do we begin how do we begin investing in real estate it's expensive right so how much money do you begin with i guess that would be the first question yeah so um you know i get asked that question as well how much do i need and um it's going to be a percentage of your purchase price right so it depends really depends right are you buying a two hundred thousand dollar house or or building about a half a million dollar, you know, 900,000, like 1.2, what, what are we spending, right? And then what type of loan are you using as well, right? So for the first time buyer or the first time investor, you can buy with like an FHA loan or conventional or VA financing or, or NACA. There are different programs that allow people to purchase and get into property with a low down payment or no down payment. So like if you're a veteran or if you are familiar with the NACA program, that's no down payment to the buyer. Um, if you're purchasing FHA or conventional, that's going to be a low down payment um, to the buyer. And so one is understanding the different loan types and which is best for you. Um, and then working with the lender to calculate how much you're approved for. What is your buying power? They're going to calculate um, something that's called DTI, which is your debt to income. They're going to take a look at, you know, what are your total debts that are reporting on your credit uh, every month? What's your income that's reported every month? And then they're going to do a percentage or ratio to, that says, hey, OK, well, this is your, you know, the max affordability that we can approve you for a mortgage. Um, so the biggest thing in starting out is absolutely uh, solidifying your team, right? Your real estate professional, your realtor, your lender. Um, if you're in an attorney state, your attorney um, and, and your inspector, um, usually starting either with a good realtor or a good lender will have will, will be able to you'll be able to get referrals to all the other you know professionals that you need. And that's the other thing, too. People are like, how do I find somebody good? Interview as many people as you need to, right? Interview the realtors that you want to work with. Interview the lenders that you want to work with. Ask questions. Ask about their experience. Ask about what programs are available to you, you know, and things like that. Um, but definitely, you know, you have to understand and know what your buying power is because if you're buying a property at FHA and FHA is three and a half percent down, then that's how much you need, right? You need three and a half percent down to purchase at X amount of dollars, right? Again, whether that's half a million or whatever your debt to income comes out at. So to answer your question on like how much money do you need, um, again, like I said, it's going to depend on what loan type you use and then also um, your buying power, how much you plan to spend. Should you take out that mortgage in your own name? Do you set up an LLC? And separately, 
what if your credit score is not good enough? Like, have you, you had that situation with certain first-time homebuyers slash investors? And how did they resolve that? Great question. Okay, so two questions. Yes, about credit and name on title. So um, if you are purchasing using um, like a first-time homebuyer program or anything like that, or specifically an owner-occupied program, then you have to purchase in your personal name. Um, you can purchase property in your business name. However, there's going to be no grants, no down payment assistance, mm -hmm. any of that. And you're likely going to be putting 20% down, 20 to 25% down um, versus no money down or versus three and a half percent or 5% down, right? So there's a big difference there if you're purchasing as an investor in a business name versus in your personal name. Um, second thing is with your credit. You can actually get approved for an FHA loan with as low as a 580 credit score. Um, so that's a loan, you know, if individuals do have, you know, no, not um, a high credit score, that's a loan product that people can use and that it is an owner-occupant loan, so it would have to be in your name. If there are things that need to be done to boost your credit, um, you know, there's a number of different things. There's like Experian Boost. You know, you can be um, added as an authorized user, you know, on someone's account. Um, you can open up um, secured accounts, secure cards, secure loans, secure lines of credit mm -hmm. and things like that. And make sure you're paying on those, um, you know, frequently. Uh, absolutely, absolutely pay your bills on time. Uh, it's so detrimental, you know, once you get a 30, 60, 90 day late, those impact your score so much. Um, so make sure your bills are set up, you know, on automatic payment. You know, as we're talking about credit and even going through the buying process, while you're throughout the process, making sure that you're not making large payments or large deposits or um, doing anything large, right? Like don't go buy a car and, and things like that, because that's going to absolutely affect your debt to income and your buying power. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's actually a very straightforward process. Like when clients come to me, when new leads come to me and we have our initial intro call and they don't know anything, um, you know, I make it very simple. The first thing that I tell them to do is talk with a lender because we need to know your numbers before we can go and step foot into one property. Um, so that's the very first step is to talk with a lender. And a lender is because you can tell me all day long that you have a 700 credit score, but the lender is actually going to pull it, run it, analyze it and let us know, you know, what we're working with. And then a good lender is if you are not ready a good lender, and this is how you know you have a good lender, is if you're not quite ready, a good lender is also going to give you recommendations, tips, maybe referral to, you know, credit repair to get yourself ready. Um, I've heard individuals, unfortunately, before, you know, not be qualified and then whomever they spoke with were just like, nope, we can't help you. And, and they kind of left them at that. Um, so I hate to hear stories like that because because I've worked with individuals to get them ready who are now, you know, homeowners and investors and things like that. So even if you're not ready, it's okay. Start taking the steps, asking the questions, get your team together, get ready. Everybody can own real estate for sure. How do you calculate how much money you will get, like your return on investment? I know on TikTok, there are like so many like cheats and like stuff people do. So how do you do it? Yeah, so I mean, I take a look at... Um, one is uh, what the current rents are. If it's a multi-unit that I'm analyzing, what are the current rents? Um, or if there are no current rents, then I'll take a look at uh, average rents. 
uh, rent-o-meter or rentometer um, is a great resource for calculating like average rent. Or because I'm a realtor, of course, I can run like comparables inside of the MLS as well. Um, but yeah, so I take a look at either what the current rents are or what the average rents are, and then I subtract all my expenses from there. So what's the estimated mortgage payment going to be? Um, what's the maintenance expense going to be on that property? What's the vacancy ratio going to be? Um, you know, get as many expenses as you can when you're going into an investment. And while you're under contract as a part of your due diligence process, you can request actual utility bills you know what is the light bill the gas the water and things like that before you close you can because sometimes people will say hey this is what the expenses are right but you absolutely want to fact check that and you want to see actual bills and actual statements um that confirm that because you'll be surprised at how many times you know deals have fallen apart because the numbers weren't actually what they were um or what you know what they were advertised to be and so my, one of my biggest tips is absolutely, you know, stick to your numbers, right? Pass on the good deals and hold out for the great deals, right? Stick to your numbers, make sure it makes sense. And then another question that I get too is like, what is a good number? And that, it, it depends. I hate to say it depends because it, it's, it's such a broad answer, but it truly does depend because everybody's goals are different, right? And I'll give you a very quick example. Um, at one point in time before the pandemic, before prices got crazy, um, you could actually buy a two unit, live in one unit, rent the other one out, and you could cash flow, right? Before the prices went up. Now, um, it's going to be hard to cash flow in a two unit. Most people are leaning towards like a three or four, you know, to get the, that additional income. So does that necessarily mean people are no longer buying two units because they can't cash flow? No, not necessarily. Some people may be paying rent right now at $2,000 of rent at, you know, at an apartment downtown. And they're like, you know what, I really want to become an owner. And um, my mortgage is, um, you know, let's say um, two grand, right? You, know, you can buy a property for two grand or 2,500. But let's say that second unit, you can only rent it out for maybe a thousand bucks or 1,500. So you're gonna have, you know, some money left over that. Now you have to put towards the mortgage. Well, for some people that works, for some people that doesn't. For some people, it makes sense because they're like, well, I'm no longer giving away $2,000 a month in free rent. Yes, I have to still pay $1,000 or $1,500 to live, but at least now that's going towards my ownership, my equity, right, and things like that. And I've had a number of cases and scenarios that ended up that way to where the clients uh, were like, yeah, you know, I'm not quite cash flowing or I'm not you know, breaking even, but at least I'm no longer paying $3,000 in rent and just giving that away, right? It's going into my ownership and my equity. And so I say that to say that everybody's goals um, are different when it comes to analyzing deals and what is your minimum cash flow number. Like there used to be a rule where, um, oh, the 1% rule, meaning, oh, you should, you know, bring in, um, you know, 1% of, of what the purchase price is. Well, in some markets, that's not realistic, but that doesn't mean you stop buying or that ownership is not important. Um, you know, there's some investors that have a rule of thumb that they have to cash flow at least three or $400 a door, right? So everybody's investment goals and things are different. And that's why I say it, it depends. And it's truly a matter of talking with a professional who has your best interest at heart, who can speak to the different um, investing styles. Because again, it's not a one size fits all for investing. 
again, if it makes sense for you, maybe you're not going to cash flow, maybe you're going to break even, but like I said, but now you are in a position of ownership where, you know, who knows? I mean, in the pandemic, I had clients who literally owned properties for a year and a half or two years and they had their properties increased, you know, 80 to 100,000 in value, right? And that was something that nobody could predict, but had he sat back and said, oh, well, the numbers aren't exactly what I want them to be or whatever the case, you know, he wouldn't have been able to take advantage of that. It was, I think Barbara Carpin recently said, you shouldn't be in the real estate business if you can't handle risk, right? And that's interesting what she said. Um, what are the steps to, just quickly, like what are the steps when you find a property that you kind of want to invest in, you know, inspections and lender, like it seems like a big long list, right? So what? what what are the main few steps? Yeah, so it's actually pretty straightforward as well. I, I swear to you, I try to simplify the process as much as possible to my clients and leads. Like I said, even when we have a first call, I'm like, hey, go get your pre-approval and then we'll get started. And they're like, that's it? That's it. We need to know the numbers. We need to know you can buy. And that's that. Then once we get started, um, once we find a property, you know, we submit an offer and uh, we have to put down something earnest money or escrow, um, depending on where you're located. Um, and pretty much that pulls the property off the market. And that is your deposit of good faith, letting the owner know that you fully intend to move forward and purchase the property. Um, then you will have your inspection. Now, an inspection is not a requirement. No one is required to have an inspection as a part of their loan. However, it is highly recommended that you fully inspect by a professional um, the asset that you're about to invest in. Um, you know, when we go out and we're taking a look at the, the showings, we aren't testing every single outlet and opening every single window and, you know, making sure everything works and, uh, and things like that. We aren't necessarily turning on every eye of the stove uh, or running the dishwasher. And so that's what an inspector is going to do. They're going to come out, you know, inspect your major five. There's five major components to a property that, you know, needs to be in good shape or at least reasonable shape. Like it has to make sense for the deal to work your plumbing, your electric, your HVAC, your roof, and your foundation. Um, you know, so five components, major components of the house that if they are not intact, you know, it could cost you lots and lots of money. So um, you have the inspection, you see, you know, what are the results from that inspection? You know, you decide to either move forward with it or maybe you negotiate with the seller to fix some things or maybe you negotiate with a, a credit. Uh, once everything is satisfied from the inspection and you move forward and if you are getting financing, assuming it's not a cash transaction, um, then you will order an appraisal. And so um, the bank sends a third party independent contractor out to uh, determine the value of the property to make sure that they are not lending more on a property than what it's actually worth. Um, if that appraisal comes back good, then the buyer goes to final underwriting where they are going through the additional due diligence with the lender, making sure they um, are fully qualified to close on the property. And then the next step is closing. So like I said, it's actually pretty straightforward. I try to make it very simple. And of course, you know, everybody's process is different and there's different nuances that can pop up along the way, uh, whether it's with issues with the house or maybe issues with someone's personal finances, you know, maybe it's taxes or student loans. And, you know, there can be so many things they can lose a job, right? There's so many things that can happen throughout a transaction, but each transaction is, is pretty straightforward. As you were talking, I'm seeing an increasing list of questions. So we have to get to them at some point. But just one last one for me. Um, what 
is the biggest strategy that people are engaging in right now? You know, we had a call before. We talked a little bit about house hacking. Is that the hottest strategy right now? Oh, good question. I would say it's between that and depending. Again, it depends. <laughs> and and I noticed you know, we have such a nation because we have a nationwide market. Um, I understand that uh, multifamily investments may not be in every market, right? Mm-hmm. And it may not make sense to do multifamily investments in like a New York or maybe California or even in uh, like Georgia, right? In the South where there's just not as many multifamily, whereas Chicago or even in most cases in, in most places in the Midwest and in the Midwest, there's blocks and blocks and blocks of multi-unit apartment buildings. So uh, yes, house hacking is a very hot, popular strategy. Even if you are not in a multi-unit, um, I have friends like in D.C. who've been able to uh, buy a single family home and they had a side entrance for the basement and they were able to build out an in-law suite in the basement and they were able to put up a door and now they're renting out their basement for additional income. So it's still the hack, right, in the house hack. And um, then, of course, Airbnb, Peerspace, Booking.com, Veerable, Travel and Nursing, um, that is a big um, trend that's happening across the nation. And um, again, every city and municipality is different when it comes to the laws and the regulations that they enforce, you know, put in place um, with those. But that's that's a very popular trend right now to like the short term rentals and the midterm rentals and the corporate rentals and things like that, because in most cases you're getting like two to three times uh, a normal rent amount. So Nolan asks, when investing in real estate, is it smart or beneficial to invest with multiple people like a Grant Cardone fund? Or do you want to wait and invest individually or with a spouse, which is the best uh, strategy? That's a great question. Um, Which is the best strategy? So it's going to depend on where goal is. Uh, Mr. Nolan. So if your goal is to put your money into an investment and you don't want any stress, you don't want any decision making, you don't want to be actively involved, then investing with um, a professional fund that is professionally run, you know, you can verify their returns and their investors and things like that. If that is who you are as an investor, then there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Um, if you want to be more of an active, hands-on, you want to be out in the field, things like that, hey, you can absolutely do that on your own or with a partner. I will say absolutely make sure you have all of your paperwork uh, in order, no matter what direction you go, especially if you decide to invest either with a fund or with a person, a friend, a spouse, an individual, make sure that it is documented. Um, you're going to be investing um, in a business or, uh, you know, together inside of a business and then you want to make sure that you have like your operating agreement and everything in place in terms of who's responsible for what you know when you so it's just a matter of what what you want to take on as an investor i call it what i call it your investor personality right who are you as a person first of all um like are you a people person do you not like people if you are not a people person you probably shouldn't try to be a landlord (laughs) or you should highly consider um hiring a property manager and make sure that you have that in your numbers, right? That you're calculating that. So again, what what's your personality? Who are you and who do you want to be as an investor? Do you have a high risk tolerance? Should you be flipping properties? Because, you know, you could absolutely, you know, open up a wall and have a 
a ton of other issues versus going in and purchasing something um, that's already done and ready and ready to go. So some people prefer to go in and do value add where um, you buy low, you renovate, you increase the value. So, you know, I hate to keep saying it depends, but it really does. And 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 I and I like to give a well-rounded approach or take that well-rounded approach and give well-rounded answers because I do work with so many clients and so many different you know facets. And, and so when you are working with a professional, you want to work with someone where who can ask you these questions and say, well, what are your goals? And who can help you draft a game plan saying, hey, okay, well, this is how we get there. So we're going to extend this like a few minutes, if you don't mind, because we have just so many questions that are good questions, great questions. Charles asks about income producing assets. How do you position real estate investing as a retirement vehicle? How many of your clients are doing this for their retirement plan? I'm oh, curious. Tons of them. Tons of them. Tons, 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 tons. Um, <laughs> So there's, again, a number of ways because when you talk about real estate investments, right, um, there's strategies, right? So are you going to flip? Are you going to hold? Are you going to do short-term rentals? Are you going to do uh, tax lien investing? Are you going to do wholesaling? Are you going to do short sales? So, so there's so many strategies. Yeah. However, if you're talking about like a vehicle retirement, um, one of the first things that people do are like, hey, well, how can I replace my income right now at my job? So they use their job and leverage their job as their investor or as their business partner, right? Because you have W-2s, it's going to be easier for you to qualify to purchase property, build and leverage your portfolio when you do have a nine to five. So don't quit your day job just yet. Make sure you can build up you know, that um, that additional income, you know, through those investments and the best way and the fastest way to get there is going to be through multifamily. Right. You can take a four hundred thousand dollar loan and you can buy um, a single family, um, you know, and live in it. Or you can buy, you know, a two or three or four unit and you can create, you know, that additional income, which will help you qualify for your next purchase because you've created, you know, that additional rental income. Um, so, yeah, that's usually how individuals do it. Hey, this is how much I'm making every month. And so I need to cash flow X amount of dollars to um, reach, you know, what that goal is every single month for me to walk away from my job. And we can calculate that, right? If you're making five, eight, ten thousand dollars $10,000 a month, well, how many properties is that? What What's the average cash flow that we're seeing, you know, um, and it's a matter of, you know, either saving up the capital or partnering to raise the capital, um, as I mentioned, you know, my first investment. So there's a number of creative ways in which you can put it together to get started. Uh, but yeah, it's a matter of having a game plan and getting started. What advice can you give for the flippers who are finding it hard to find contractors? Because uh, Tasha says this has been a challenge in small towns. Have you had issues with contractors? It is a challenge with everyone in the world. <laughs> <laughs> it is a challenge. It will forever be a challenge as long as you're in this business, it, uh, unless you actually um, become a general contractor and actually like build out a team and people that you have on payroll and on salary. But it is going to be a challenge. Um, the best thing is going to be referrals, 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 referrals. Ask as many people as you can for referrals. Um, get as many people as you can out to the property to quote the property, you know, have a conversation with them, get a feel for people. It's going to take some time. And then you you may even, you know, as you're getting into flipping, you may have a contractor that does great on the first project or the second project or the third project. And then on the fourth, it's terrible. And you got to start all over, right? Or they disappear. It's just 
one of those industries. Um, and it's no way to get around it, unfortunately. But referrals and recommendations um, have definitely been my saving grace. And then um, the other thing, too, is always making sure that you're resourceful. So I joke about this inside of my women's um, investment group. And we always say, oh, I got a, I, I got a guy for that, right? And so literally, if you, if you go on my phone, I have a masonry guy, a concrete guy, a, a fence guy, a roof guy, a window guy, a painter, and this or that, a carpet, whatever the case, right? Because in so many instances, um, people oftentimes go to a general contractor, um, for yeah for a big project but you may not need a general contractor mm -hmm. who's going to put a markup on top of the subcontractor pricing anyway you might just need a handyman or somebody to do the carpet or paint or do the floors and, and whatnot so always be building up your roller deck right as you're driving down the street you see you know a van that says we do you know whatever put that put that in your phone take a picture right you you have to try people out it's just one of those industries I love how your mind is always thinking that even when you're driving and you see a van, your first reaction is, how does this help my business? <laughs> that is so funny. And that's so great. Um, that really shows how you hustle. Um, one of the live listener questions that came in, Neil says, what do you think about owning or investing real estate in another state? Have you done that? And, um, you know, how, how did you pull it off? Um, so I have not. Um, all of my investments have been in Chicago. However, I've worked with a number of friends, colleagues, clients who have. Um, the biggest thing that I can uh, tell you there is uh, making sure that you have boots on the ground. So whether that is a realtor there, whether that is somebody who can take pictures for you. Um, again, it's the same. It's, it's a very similar process to what you would do uh, if you were investing locally, right? Getting your team. Um, but the difference is having someone who can actually go to the property, take the pictures, do the walkthrough, schedule showings, and things like that. Um, so again, it's just a matter of uh, having those those resources. Um, I'm actually analyzing a deal right now in um, in Ohio, so I might be investing out of state soon. I'm definitely not opposed to it because I know how to. Like my first call was to a realtor, right? Hey, what's going on with this market, this area, this neighborhood? Tell me what you know, you know, things like that. So I know how to ask the questions. And if I need to take a trip, I can. But again, we're taking a look at the numbers first and then gathering all the other information um, outside of that and then making sure, you know, we build a team around that as well. This question comes from Pat, and I don't know if it really applies, but I'm curious what you think. Uh, a lot of people are working remotely, which is causing a lot of chaos in the commercial real estate, especially office sector. Does that have any impact on your investments and just, you know, any thoughts on that? Um, so if you are in the commercial real estate space, then yes, you know, we... Uh, definitely saw a shift, you know, during COVID with a lot of businesses being empty, a lot of office buildings being empty. Of course, people have gone back into the work or gone back into like a hybrid situation. Um, but I'm not seeing so much of an effect of that in residential real estate. Okay. Okay. Yeah. A lot of our offices are also asking us to come back multiple times a week. Uh, so that we could see that shift happen sooner. And then Harold, and that's the last question because we are like way over time, but um, just Harold has a very interesting question. What, again, and you kind of already mentioned it, but what's the best way for someone interested in investing in single family property in a state they don't live in, but have grown up in? Is there a difference between single family, multifamily in a different state? No, 
Nope, it's going to be the same process. Um, you know, again, if you're investing, I'm assuming, I don't know if you would be looking to flip it or um, keep it long-term, Harold, but um, it's going to be the same process, making sure that you have your resources and your boots on the ground. So my first call would be uh, to a realtor and making sure that, you know, the realtor knows the market, knows the area, understands what you're trying to do and make sure that they have experience in working with other people that have also done what you're trying to do, which is very important. And then from there, like I said, they'll be able to give you your uh, recommendations and referrals for inspectors and attorneys. If you are looking for a contractor, again, that's going to be, you know, recommendation or referral that you're looking to get out of state. Um, now, I will say, you know, managing a rehab from out of state. Now, that can become a challenge if you do not have someone managing the, the contractor. Right. Um, so oftentimes people may hire a project manager to hire the contractor. Like in essence, yes, the contractor should be managing the job, but that's who you hire um, to do the job. And then you have to manage them on top of that. So if I'm doing a project in the city, I'm definitely there multiple times a week, if not every day. Mm -hmm. and, and if you're doing a rehab, that is going to be so important, again, for you to have boots on the ground. So but you know, as he mentioned, maybe it's where he lives or grew up. So a family member, a friend, you know, they could do, you know, something like that. They can come in and, and take over that. That's exactly what I was going to say next. You know, in my family, that's what we've done. If someone's renovating the house, an uncle or like some family members always like, you know, just keeping an eye on things, yeah. <laughs> make sure people show up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That is really all the time we have for today. Thank you for being here. This was such a great conversation. And I hope our listeners really learn something about real estate investing. And, you know, you know, if you have any more questions, please uh, reach out to Roshana and we'll respond if she has time between all the different things. That, aside from spotting contractors on the go, I, I just love that example. Um so anyway, we hope we, you listen to our next episode tomorrow. Market Watch senior banking reporter Steve Jelsey sits down with Citizens CEO Bruce Van Son, and they discuss the regional banking crisis to explain what happened, the role of the bank in addressing market jitters, and what the road looks like ahead for regional banks uh, amid inflation that seems to be here for longer. So thank you for listening, everyone. Stay safe and have a good day. The energy transition is a long and winding road and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.